What's up, guys? Welcome to the Establish the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Pat Corain, and with me is my co-host, Mike Leone of EstablishTheRun.com. Mike, how's it going? It's going pretty well, getting ready for the season. It's, in a weird way, snuck up on me, you know, with no preseason and mm-hmm. with the COVID stuff, like earlier in the offseason, just wondering if we're really going to have a season. And now here we are, you know, we're recording this on Friday, so technically less than a week out from opening kickoff. I feel the same way. Yeah, not having those preseason games kind of remove some of the benchmarks of like feeling like, you know, you know, that rhythm that you get into of like when the season's starting. I still kind of don't feel like I know internally when the season starts. I keep having to like check, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's like in a weird way it has kind of caught up to us. And now we're getting those final training camp cuts. And so that that kind of is you know, making the alarm bells go off that the season really is just around the corner. So lots of stuff going on. Um, Today, we're going to get into a couple different things. Uh, We're going to talk dynasty. This is primarily going to be a dynasty show. Um, We will talk about Leonard Fournette signing with the Bucks. That's, this is the show that I host. So I'm going (laughs) to talk about it, (laughs) but I'm going to save it. We're going to try our best to save it until the end because if you've listened to me on chip chasing or really if you've ever heard me talk before, uh, if you've met me in person, you probably you've probably heard me talk about Ronald Jones. I don't want to bore everybody uh, with the Ronald Jones stuff. We'll try to save it to the end. If you're interested, it'll be there. Um, but for the most part, we're going to be talking about Dynasty. My Dynasty rankings are updated to establish the run. I've been kind of updating them in batches throughout the offseason with the cuts going on and um, things constantly changing. I'm just going to be tweaking these throughout the weekend. So uh, they should just, hopefully they should stay pretty up to date. Feel free to message me on Twitter or whatever. If you see anything that looks whacked, LaVisca Chenault is ranked where I want him. That, that is not a, that <laughs> there's nothing uh, forgetful of there going on. But, uh, but if you do see anything weird or if you feel like I'm missing somebody, feel free to reach out, but I'm going to try to tweak these as uh, things change. But yeah, we wanted to get into um, kind of the dynasty philosophy a little bit and uh, get into some cut down type of uh, scenarios as, you know, we have uh, and also looking at some potential guys that might be on waivers and, and all that good stuff. So turning our attention to dynasty here before the season kicks off. Yeah, I've got my personal FFPC leagues to cut down day is Sunday. So I want to get Pat's take on that. But first, we'll dive into his rankings. And I use Pat's rankings pretty religiously for my dynasty stuff. And Pat's much more experienced in dynasty than me. I started playing dynasty about two years ago. So I, I really enjoy the perspective, but sometimes it's difficult for me not having experienced years three, years four yet out as to how rosters might crumple, how they might evolve. So when I look at your rankings, what I find very interesting, not just me looking at your rankings, but I've had a few friends look at your rankings and I get a wide range of feedback. Sometimes I get people telling me, oh, you know, he takes into account current year and present value a lot more than other people. And then I get someone else who has the exact opposite opinion, which I find really interesting with the same rankings. But I think that has to do with, you know, especially up top, you seem pretty cognizant of present value. But then there's some of the, especially in terms of rookie receivers, the guys you think are going to have long shelf lives. Like you don't mess around. You've got Chanel, as you mentioned, ranked really highly. Rieger ranked really highly. So I guess if you want to just give a little bit of background as to how you're mixing and matching short-term value and long-term value. Yeah, I think my philosophy on Dynasty is a little bit different than what you might consider like a mainstream philosophy or maybe just kind of the the philosophy that people kind of begin with, I guess. My goal in Dynasty is to keep my roster liquid. So I'm not that worried about like three-year windows or what a guy might produce two, three years down the line. I don't think we're very good at predicting what someone's going to produce three years down the line. I think we're much, much, much better at predicting what a guy is going to produce four weeks from now. And so what you want to be able to do is have a roster where you can trade easily and you can, you can 
keep your roster fresh to compete in the upcoming season. I would also say I recommend being in leagues that are active. So like, unless it's like, you know, a league with your buddies or something where there's, you just kind of enjoy being the league. I wouldn't really, I would try to avoid being in dynasty leagues where you can't trade very easily because so much of being able to maintain a long-term competitive team is being able to trade and keep your roster up to date because we learn so much, you know, so much changes from season to season. So that's kind of the main goal of my, uh, my rankings, my philosophy is that I want to be able to keep my team liquid. I want to be able to move off guys that I don't think have as strong of an outlook entering the season. And I don't want to have to do that at a huge discount from what I paid for them. So I'm trying to keep the value of my team really high, the trade value of my team really high, while also obviously trying to make it a very productive roster. Yeah. And related to that, you have in the established to run rankings, the 2020 and 2021 contract statuses. And, you know, I've looked at an array of rankings across the industry and I don't see people harping on a contract status a lot. I mean, like everyone tries to balance age with current value, you know, rookie or not rookie, but the actual contract status, you don't see referenced all that much. And it's obviously important knowing if a guy, you know, is cheap cost control and is going to be sticking with the team versus someone where there's a contract that maybe they want to get out from in a year. So how are the contract statuses affecting your rankings? Because you can see very easily where that can fit in with what you said about maintaining liquidity. Yeah, I think contracts are very, very important to keep in mind. And particularly because if a guy has an uncertain contract, Uh, That can fly under the radar for a time, but it presents huge downside risk if a guy is going to be, you know, changing teams. Let's look at James Conner, okay? James Conner right now looks like he's going to be a workhorse for the 2020 season. He's someone that in redraft, he was on my zero running back targets list as a, you know, a potential guy to kind of use like an anchor running back. He was like a cheap anchor running back you could get in the third round. Now he's more like a second round pick, but he's still not, I don't think a bad pick because we've gotten more confident in his role. However, James Conner is a unrestricted free agent and doesn't look all that likely to be re-signed by the Steelers. He represents just a massive poten- potential loss in value. If you, if you ride James Conner through him changing teams, maybe, you, you know, in a best case scenario, you can ride James Conner all year. He lands somewhere okay. You can trade him for you know more or less what you could get for him now, and it's a win-win. But that's a guy that I'm tending to be fading uh, a bit in Dynasty because you can usually for a James Conner, you know, even if you have to wait a game or two into the season to prove to your league that he is actually a workhorse, you can usually get a lot for those dudes in season. And you can get back a guy who's maybe on a rookie deal or uh, signed to an extension that you know you're not going to like lose a ton of value very quickly. The thing with dynasty value is that this is really true of any fantasy league, but it's you know you see it in dynasty more because trades are so much more common. Is that there is an exponential value curve that we're looking at here? Like for the guys that are you know top. Uh, 12 picks, first round dynasty picks, they're worth way, way, way more than guys who are fourth round dynasty picks. And then guys who are like 10th round dynasty picks are often, you know, can be like throw in types. So you don't, you just don't want to be riding a guy down that scale because it's not linear, it's exponential. Yeah. And that also brings into play, you know, the running back position as a whole, you know, the whole idea behind zero RB and redraft leagues those tendencies are also on display in dynasty leagues quite a bit where someone like James Conner, literally he could have a decent season and just have no role next year. If Pittsburgh decides not to resign him or he doesn't get in the right landing spot. And that's that exponential drop off that you talk about. And I think we see that in your rankings a lot where you still have the value pretty high on the elite running backs. It's important. They give you a great foundation, uh, But then once you get past that, it gets a little shaky and you can see your rankings once you get out of the top 20, really receiver heavy. Uh, So I know you want to dive into a little bit about how 
the receivers seem to hold their value a little bit longer once you get out of the elites. Yeah. The one position where I maybe move a, a little bit away from my, my larger philosophy is receiver. Because I do think that with young receivers and and receivers entering the league, we can better determine who's actually good. I think receiver prospects are the one thing where I feel pretty confident in my ability to beat the market on in just prospect evaluation. And just to hop in here real quick, when you say, you know, you feel confident and a little bit more confident identifying which receivers are actually good, not only an ability to evaluate and identify that ahead of time, but that actually matters a lot more. And you put this in the intro to your article, you know, situation and landing spot matters more for running backs than receivers. And you listed a bunch of examples, AJ Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, Chris Godwin, guys that were perceived to be blocked by high-end receivers, uh, you know, guys like Cortland Sutton and DJ Chark, who were perceived to be held down by the lack of quality quarterback play. Like those guys are hitting Whereas running back, you need the landing spot to not only be there, but it's got to stay there. So I think that adds to it. It's not just being able to identify who's good. It's the fact that being good actually matters on top of identifying it in the first place. Yeah, that's a great point. Running back is so situation dependent. Receiver, the talent really does tend to shine through. So if you have a signal there, it, it matters a great deal more. And I think, you know, simple things like you want guys who are productive in college and declared is underclassmen, true underclassmen. Uh, Anthony Miko's done some really good work on on that, where you want to look at guys who uh, weren't redshirt juniors but true juniors or, or were redshirt sophomores. So that's big, having guys who were very productive, particularly having like a breakout season at some point in their college career is really bullish. It's also pretty bullish the earlier that season comes. So maybe, and this is where I think there's an edge to be had, that people tend to overweight final season production and underweight the early career breakouts. And I think that's true of two guys in this class in particular, Jalen Rager and LaVisca Chenault. And those two are actually, I would say, the guys that I'm highest on compared to the the overall market. Because I think that, you know, guys like Jerry Judy, um, C.D. Lamb, excellent prospects. I'm, I'm very much on board with those guys. But I think that uh, Chenault and Rager entering the league coming off seasons that had some more red flags, people are a little bit uh, more hesitant to get on board with them. And I think that that they represent really, really strong value picks. And then you noted, and especially in shallower leagues, leagues that kind of have your general redraft type starting roster, you know, one quarterback, two running back, three receiver and a flex. The tight end position itself is something that somewhat devalued in dynasty outside of those elite high end tight ends because the rookie tight ends, they don't tend to produce right away. And the ceiling hit rate on those, the, the chance for those guys to be huge difference makers just isn't that high that you're much better off devoting resources to the running back wide receiver position where your chances of having, I mean, because the goal is really to have a super team in dynasty. Uh, especially with those smaller starting rosters that if you don't get an elite tight end, that's fine. That's not going to prevent you. Whereas if you swing and miss on some tight ends early, like the opportunity cost there is really high in dynasty. Yeah. And I think you need to be honest with yourself about like what league, what your league settings are going to allow you to do at tight end. Um, If you're in one of these shallower leagues um, and you know, like I like Cole Komet a lot as a prospect. I think he's a really interesting tight end prospect. I'm in a bunch of shallower dynasty leagues, and I'm probably going to end up having to drop Cole Komet in most of them because I just I can't roster him. So, you know, you have to be honest about I got Cole Komet really cheaply in those leagues because everyone realized that you you wouldn't be able to roster him. But um, but yeah, generally you want to be with tight end. I think you want to try to be looking at what the league is telling us, like what these guys are doing in the NFL um, for the most part, rather than the prospect profile, though the prospect profile does matter, but um, we need to see if these guys are really like emerging as guys, the NFL values as pass catchers. Uh, Cause you know, with wide receivers, they're obviously pass catchers. That's the whole point of them being on the field. 
uh, in the NFL, sometimes these tight ends, that doesn't end up being a big enough part of their role for them to be valuable as fantasy contributors. So I think, um, you know, guys like TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, those are excellent prospects. And I think they were worth the high end selections that people spent on them, but you do have to be patient and uh, it can sometimes be hard to actually hold these guys in the shallower leagues. I think this year's tight end class is a bit underrated. I think Cole Komet is a really strong prospect. I think Asiasi has emerged and people aren't really appreciating that he could be the starting tight end in New England right away. And Adam Trout is also what Alberto. Alberto, yeah, Alberto's not a guy that I think Alberto's someone that you'd probably have to have a pretty deep roster to uh, to really hold him because he's behind Fant. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, I think Troutman could emerge as in New Orleans uh, depending on what happens with Jared Cook down the line. But again, he's more of a deeper guy. But I think Asiasi and Komet, or even in shallow leagues, if you can find a way to keep those guys in your roster, I'd recommend doing that. To your point about a super team, I did want to circle back on wide receiver a little bit. So my general philosophy is I want to keep my roster liquid. I want to be looking at what guys are going to produce in the upcoming season, and I'm not that concerned about trying to project what they're going to do over multiple seasons. That changes a bit at rookie wide receiver or you know, set, like guys entering their second year because I feel more confident that I can project whether or not they're actually good. And I'm, and I want to bet on that talent evaluation. If you hit on those talent evaluations at receiver, you can build versions of the anchor running back, you know, slash modified zero running back strategy in dynasty that are absolutely monstrous that you can just like smash people with. And that is my goal. My goal in dynasty, particularly if you're in like more of like the shallow dynasty leagues that you'll see at, FFPC, uh, FFWC, like those league types, uh, you can build like one elite running back and then crushing people in the flex with just an absurd wide receiver lineup. And then you can piece together running back too. That is my preferred strategy. And keeping your team liquid in terms of trade value will allow you to make sure that your elite running back is, uh, is actually in place. So for example, I have a team that I was very successful with, with Todd Gurley as the elite running back. I won back to back. And then last year I finished second as Todd Gurley petered out. This year I was able to trade uh, DeAndre Hopkins away. I traded some picks. I ended up getting back a bunch of rookie picks in this class. And I ended up being able to move over to Christian McCaffrey. So if you keep your team liquid, you can like, you can trade for the number one player in dynasty without blowing up your team, which is generally pretty hard to do. It's a huge advantage to have the assets on your team that you can basically any player on your team is someone else, someone the, the other people in the league want to own. Um, that's how you're able to like make the type of trades where you feel like I'm positioning my team more like it's a redraft team then like I'm just kind of stuck with this portfolio of players that I liked two and a half years ago. Yeah. And I, I got your feedback a little bit on the FFPC pros versus Joe's. It's a super flex best ball dynasty league, you know, using the FFPC scoring system. And that was my plan of attack. And it sort of changed just because the way people were drafting pretty running back heavy early, I was able to get the RB anchor with Barkley by having an early pick and, Mahomes Lamar went before him. So, you know, he was pretty clearly the pick and then just loaded up on receivers. So have DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, Stefan Diggs, Robert Woods, Chenault, CD Lamb. So I'm going to have a lot of trade equity down the line, even if that's more receivers than I need, even though my RB twos a little bit shaky, you know, I've got all the zero RB guys, Pollard, Benjamin, Snell, Henderson, Scott. Like I'm hoping one of those guys hits. It's also a little bit easier in best ball where I don't have to decide which one of those guys to start each week. But you can start to see where if Lamb and Chenault hit early with the receivers I have that have current value, you know, I have a lot of flexibility there to pick up a high end RB2, even to, to slot in next to Barkley. You know, if Chenault and CD Lamb hit, I can trade Devontae Adams or DeAndre Hopkins and feel pretty okay about it with my wide receiver depth and really go all in on the current season with that RB2 um, in, in the trade market. But two other things, uh, one off of the 
notion that you can build these modified zero RB teams in Dynasty. I was talking with Ben Gretsch and he was telling me how he values the pass catching running backs that might not have huge ceilings a lot more in Dynasty than he does in redraft just because it gives you that fillable running back guy. And this might be thinking a little bit longer term than you usually think, but those guys tend to stick around. You know, they have, if you're a good pass catching back in the league, you're a good third down back, your shelf life is extended a little bit more than the between the tackles grinder. That's pretty reliant on getting a ton of carries each week. So I kind of wanted your take on that. And then also we've been mentioning shallow versus deeper leagues, and maybe we can get into some different setups for dynasty and how that might affect things because I play in some pretty deep leagues and the concept of building a super team versus having a balanced team gets a little bit trickier as you add more bench spots and more importantly, more starting roster spots. Yeah. On the pass catching running backs, I think that they tend to be pretty undervalued and, um, I'm thinking about it more just in terms of like how much it costs to get them on my roster. As you say, like I, I, I'm not as sold on the idea of like, I can ride this guy for three years because I want to be every year. I want to be looking ahead and saying like, is Tariq Cohen someone I want to own for 2020? (laughs) And, but generally it, the answer is yes, because what um, he costs is so little. And in our league we did together. Now you're a rebuilding team, which is an important, note in this was a startup and you decided to build a little bit longer term just the way the league broke it was a startup auction it was kind of quirky was all our first time doing it but i got james white from you for you know i think a a third fourth round rookie pick yeah you know for a team that i'm i'm all in this year so we're exact opposite situations but that's just an example the cost of you know some of these pass catching backs that don't have this perceived long-term upside yeah right they and no one expects and nor should they that james white will end up being you know some workhorse back in the future they you know what his um his upside as a player is he could have a spike season but he's not going to turn into that running back that everyone wants that elite running back and so i think people are often much more willing to take to overpay for guys that they think maybe could turn into that next stud running back than they are to just spend those roster spots, spend that draft capital on guys who have known limitations like Tariq Cohen that are just small pass catching backs. That's just, they don't tend to hold a lot of appeal and therefore you can get them on your roster pretty cheaply. And I think you can't only have that, but if you have that um, in addition to a stud running back, in addition to a couple guys that you're excited about long-term in a, you know, in a more, higher upside capacity, then those types of backs can really help fill out a contending team. And then as far as you know, deeper leagues versus shallow leagues, sometimes it's difficult to talk dynasty because there's so many different formats out there. It's not like best ball where they're all, you know, somewhat versions of the same thing, you know, underdog versus DraftKings, And, you know, we can just make some small tweaks here and there. Like I play in the primary format I'm playing in is super flex tight end premium where you're starting, you know, nine, 10 guys a week and you've got 30 man rosters. Obviously your strategy for that type of league is going to be different than when you're starting, you know, seven, eight skill players a week and you've got 20 man rosters. And I think for best ball too, for people who play best ball dynasty versus managed dynasty, that balance, I think, sometimes is underrated, and it can make the trade market trade market a little bit difficult because you see, if you use trade calculators out there, you know, a lot of times they'll tell you to give up whatever you can to get that stud piece to make your uh-huh. super team, the Michael Thomas, the Christian McCaffrey. But when your starting rosters are 10, 11 mans deep and it's best ball, having usable guys, middle of the pack guys across your roster is pretty beneficial. So I don't I, I don't have a concrete question from that, but I do think it's interesting how the value can shift up and down your lineup based on the league settings. Yeah, to me, it's about ceiling and floor, and it's about um, position. Uh, I want, in those deeper leagues, I want to even be more heavy on wide receiver because wide receivers are going to be more projectable entering a season 
I need to, if I have a bunch of flexes to fill, I want to be able to fill them with points. And if I spend more of my capital on getting strong wide receivers, you know, and maybe not the guys that are the trendiest wide receivers, but guys like Tyler Lockett, where I'm like, Tyler Lockett's going to score points. I know that. That's Tyler Lockett in a shallow dynasty is not as appealing to me. I'd rather take like a, a huge swing, but on, in a deeper dynasty, like Tyler Lockett's awesome. You know, like you're not, you're not whiffing on that pick and you need to fill those flexes. So I think uh, bumping up a guy's floor and not even just like his scoring floor, but like his, his contract, like how long is this guy tied to good quarterback play? Um, am I going to be able to trade this guy after the season for what I paid roughly? Uh, that's, that's like really important, especially as those leagues get deeper. If your league is shallow, then I think you, you'd almost be ill-advised not to take some bigger swings because you're going to be able to pick up people on the waiver wire. You have that backstop. It, things can only get so rough for you. You know, you, you can always like find someone who's going to be somewhat productive on the waiver wire. On these deeper leagues, the waiver wire is essentially non-existent. You might have like three to four waiver pickups in an entire season across all teams that really end up mattering uh, and maybe even less. But you're just you're dependent on what you can get back in trades. And so you want to be able to keep your team, especially liquid in those settings. You do not want to be riding these like these running backs down to zero. I mean, there's a team in one of the leagues I'm in where it's like you see him go. It's like last year we did a startup and it's like Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette, like uh, Le'Veon Bell. And it's just like the value that it costs to take those guys in a startup versus what you can get back in a trade versus actually making yourself take that in a trade because it can be so hard sometimes to sell the falling knife because you just feel like now I've locked in this loss in value and who knows, maybe you could have a rebound season. And then you end up riding this guy to, to dust. And it's it's terrible for your dynasty team. Like it can be I I don't mind doing the rebuild where you totally punt and you know you're you're dependent on rookie picks, but you don't want to be <laughs> you don't want to have to force yourself into that. And you want to be able to, if you're doing that, you want to be able to just like load up on a rookie class so that you have like a lot of you have the quantity. Uh I don't think you want to take these guys to zero and hope your rookie picks will save you. So that's the biggest thing for the deep versus shallow, I think, is that you you want to take a lot more big swings in the shallow leagues and the, the high floor guys, I think, are, are much more important in the deep leagues. All right. So if we get into some specifics now, we can talk about some of the bigger movers in your rankings, the Tampa Bay situation we have to get into. And then I wanted to get your feedback on my the FFPC pros versus Joe's team on the cut down, because that's almost a hybrid dynasty keeper league with how you think about it. So I'm interested in your thoughts on the back end roster construction. So let me, let, let me make two points before we move on. Cause it's just a couple of things that are kind of random thoughts. Um, the first is on the rookie wide receiver point, rookie wide receivers, they do a very good job of maintaining their value or even increasing their value with limited production. So if you have a guy that looks like he's going to be involved, he needs to generally do very little to increase in value. So, you, there's not a lot of opportunity. There's not a lot of risk with um, betting on those talent evaluations, particularly if you see that a guy is going to be involved early. So, another reason I'm very high on rookie wide receivers, typically the ones that I think have good profiles anyway, is that I don't think there's much risk to getting to see if I'm right, and you can have huge payoff if if you are. The other thing I'll say is that I've talked about trades a bunch of times now. I think it's important to like don't be a dick to your league mates with trades. Like, you know, if someone sends you a really bad offer, just reject it. You Drew Dinkmeyer, are you listening? <laughs> you want to be able, you want people to send you trades. People who send you really bad trade offers often have no gauge of market value. And they may send you a really bad trade offer that's actually in your favor. So just, you know, just reject, be nice. And hopefully you end up getting something that falls into your lap, which I've gotten. Like I have Travis Kelsey on this on that team I mentioned earlier. I got him for Austin Safarian Jenkins and a late first round pick uh, like two, three years ago when Safarian Jenkins had that touchdown run. It showed up on in my inbox, accepted, and it has made a huge difference for my team. Like you just you'll get these trade offers coming through if you're available for 
if people know you're available to trade and, and aren't uh, being a dick. The other thing is that you can make trades that are quote unquote losers for you. Like you mentioned the James White trade. You got James White off me too cheap, but I don't need James White. In fact, James White hurts me because I I have like, I think I own half of the 2022 draft class. Uh, so I'm clearly rebuilding in that league. Actually, James White, White's points are like a negative for me. So I'll give him away. And I told the league like, hey, come get my the veterans that I that I took in this auction. So or if you want to move, let's say you want to move down a couple picks in a rookie draft because you don't like the guy who by ADP would go there. It's OK to like lose that trade to not get enough based on market value to move down because the person who feels like they're winning a trade may be more likely to come back to you in the future. And you weren't going to take the guy who you're supposed to quote unquote take there anyway. So you getting anything on top is actually also a win for you. It's a win-win. This is a point that Sean Siegel makes all the time and is both one of the most fun people to trade with in dynasty leagues and consistently crushes in dynasty. And I don't think that those things are correlated uh, like intentionally They're, They It's not an accident. So those yeah, are you, your kind of two random points. Yeah, you don't have to win every trade by market value. You know, if it's putting your team in a better position and also helping another team, you know, they're going to be more open to trading to you with you in the future. And yeah, maybe you could have squeezed them out of a little bit something more short term, but that might salt, you know, the the trade mm -hmm. muddy the trade waters for you in the future. Um, but enough stalling, Pat. Ronald Jones, Ronald <laughs> made people listen to thirty minutes of Dynasty talk. <laughs> This is what the people are here for. So I watched your ship chasing, part of your ship chasing, which went live serendipitously about an hour after. Maybe you were alive when the Fernet to the Bucks news broke. I don't remember the exact time. It was, it was about an hour or two after, yeah. Yeah, you were having some internet struggles. It seemed like yeah, just a just a <laughs> Just tough scene. I, I wrote in the Periscope chat that it, it was tough to watch because you were still lobbying for Ronald Jones in the eighth round of a redraft. So I don't. You, you just got to talk me through this, this this whirlwind of events for you. Loading up on Ronald Jones all off season, fading Leonard Fournette all off season, and then you know th this happens. So what's your take? Yeah. So to be clear, this is that. A running back who was cut off of his rookie deal was then not claimed by any NFL team and then signed to a $2 million deal with $1.5 million in incentives and no guaranteed money. This is less potentially than what Carlos Hyde is making this year. So that is what has happened. Now, what has happened in the fantasy community is that despite what the Bucks are telling us, Fournette is being treated as the clear-cut starter here. Uh, his ADP in FFPC leagues looks like it's going to end up being higher than it was when he was in Jacksonville. And it looks like it's going to be much higher than what Ronald Jones was before Leonard Fournette arrived. People now that Leonard Fournette is there seem to think that Tampa Bay is a great place to own the lead running back. They weren't that excited about owning the lead running back when it was Ronald Jones. So what's happening with Ronald Jones ADP is that he looks like he's going to fall to that like ninth round range Davis Maddock got him last night in the 10th round of a main event. Uh, I have seen him go in best ball leagues still in the seventh round, but I think to some extent that's kind of the auto pick effect and also just that he's sort of sitting at the top of that queue all the time. I think that he will probably fall by at least another round in those settings uh, before the season starts. But the market is pretty confident that Leonard Fournette is going to be the long-term starter here and that Ronald Jones is not the back to own. What I would suggest is that maybe the market doesn't know what it's talking about and that we should take the giant discount they're offering us on the back that got to spend the entire offseason in this offense, in an offseason where Establisher Run has been, I think, correctly talking about the importance of continuity and the fact that you know this is not maybe the offseason where you want to try to jump in without having spent literally any time with the offense we're getting with Jones, the guy that the team says is the starter a running back who was running back five in yards per out run last year. He was really strong after contact last year. And the, you know, the guy that according to Arians is the starter. Now could Arians be full of shit? Of course, of course he'd be full of shit, but you get the guy 
who's cheaper, and he's being priced alongside guys like Carrion Johnson, alongside guys like Philip Lindsay. I think that we have an ambiguous backfield here that's far more ambiguous than what we're looking for in you know in those backfields. Like DeAndre Swift is not going to end up being like a true rotational running back this year. Once he gets healthy, he's going to have a fairly significant role at some point. Uh, Melvin Gordon is not going to be an, end up being a rotational running back behind Philip Lindsay. There is a chance that Leonard Fournette is a rotational running back behind Ronald Jones if Ronald Jones is able to start the season strong. It looks like he should get the majority of work in week one. If he capitalizes on, on that opportunity, he could he could fend off Leonard Fournette. I think the most likely scenario is that this devolves into a running back by committee where both guys are pretty suspect at their current ADPs or have kind of spike weeks and are ended up being better. Like I think Jones is probably better in best ball in the ninth round range because it could be kind of hard to know when to start him once the season moves along. But taking Leonard Fournette in the fifth round or whatever is you're lighting your draft capital on fire. And I, I want to bet on the cheaper guy in an ambiguous backfield and the market again is letting us get a discount on Ronald Jones. Yeah. I I'm with you on the Fournette fade. I think, this just shows how poor of a pick he was in redraft where he basically signed in the nut spot for him, in my opinion. And that probably puts him at a six to eighth round pick. Uh, maybe, I mean, you would probably say closer to an eighth round pick, but re- regardless, he's going before then, you know, so it's almost moot. And that was with him landing in the, the best spot he possibly could have landed. So I, I'm with you on the fade, but I got to push back on the Ronald Jones stuff a little bit. One, if we just look at the actions Tampa Bay has taken, Bruce Arians has taken, you know, they, they didn't give him much goal line work last year. They had Dare involved. They had Peyton Barber involved. They draft a third round running back. Now they sign Leonard Fournette. I mean, don't you think the signs there are that they're not, regardless of the Bruce Arians coach speak, which he's notorious for being completely wrong on the signs are that they don't fully believe in him. And now with Fournette there, I mean, the scary thing, like the upside for Jones for me before was two down back and maybe he gets the goal line work this year. I don't think he's going to be a three down back. You know, and, and even, even if Vaughn is dead for the first half of the season, you know, he could still come back for the second half of the season and be somewhat strong. So I don't know. I, I'm just having a tough time seeing him reach his upside unless you really think they're burying Leonard Fournette. And I don't think they brought Leonard Fournette in to bury him. So even if he's not, Fournette's not the clear cut starter, you start giving, I, I would be surprised if Ronald Jones got more goal line work than Leonard Fournette over the course of the season. I'd be surprised if Leonard Fournette's not getting 30% of the team's carries, which you know, where, where does that leave Ronald Jones when you start mixing in five to 10% for some other guys? So I I just rather take a shot. And this is where I told Davis when he took Ronald Jones in the 10th round, I'm not taking Ronald Jones over Tony Pollard, you know, a, a guy that if it breaks, right, he smashes. I'm just not entirely sure what breaking right for Ronald Jones even looks like, because I think there were some risks with him even before Fournette got signed that maybe he wouldn't step into enough volume to really pay off. So now he needs something to happen to Fernet and you still might not pay it off. So I, I kind of feel like this is a cut your losses and let someone else take him in the 10th round type situation. Yeah. The Tony Pollard points a good one. I think you can, it's just so much easier to see how he becomes like a top five running back play and, you know, absolutely crushes. He does need an injury. I think that what Ronald Jones offers is i mean this is the classic thing of this is an ambiguous backfield we don't know how they're gonna break down the touches people seem very confident that leonard fournette is going to ultimately get the lion's share of this work but we don't know and so we want to be price sensitive and take the cheaper guy and ronald jones is by far the cheaper guy now so Uh, just take neither of them you could take neither of them but i think you know like Antonio Gibson was a guy that early in the offseason, I was like, let's take him in the 10th round. I know it feels pricey. Let's do it. And it's it feels kind of gross because you just don't know how it's going to break. Now, you'll, you'll never see Antonio Gibson in the 10th round because things got less ambiguous. And I think what we could be looking at is, you know, after week one, 
Ronald Jones could have gotten the clear cut start. He could have gotten all the goal line work and he gets like, you know, three receptions on early downs uh, in that week one matchup with the Saints where Leonard Fournette really hasn't had a chance to establish himself whatsoever. At that point, we're going, huh, maybe we were wrong about who's actually going to get the the lion's share of the work here. I think that I would not be surprised if Ronald Jones ends up getting the majority of goal line work. Leonard Fournette was absolutely terrible in, in the goal line role last year. Ronald Jones was not given all that much goal line work, but the stuff that he got inside the the 10 to 15 to 20 was he was awesome on. So it was he didn't get a lot of the stuff inside the five, unfortunately, but he got a lot inside the 10 yeah. and he was fantastic on that work. So there's no doubt that this hurts him. Like, I, I don't think that Fournette's just like, I don't buy that he's going to be completely just a backup, but or just truly an insurance play. They're going to try to work him in and see what they have. But um, Jones is, I think, done a better job of showing, particularly last year, that he has a higher degree of talent than Leonard Fournette. I get. I think a lot of this comes down to: Do you that, buy into Leonard Fournette as a talent? Well, do I or it is Bruce Arians? You know, I mean, you're talking to a somewhat old school yeah. football coach. I mean, those are the type of people that draft Leonard Fournette fourth overall. You know, like he's got this pedigree behind him. He's got. But he was cut by the team that drafted him fourth overall. Like, how much is he that was, pedigree matter a, now? I don't. I. I think it does matter in the eyes of an old school coach. I don't think he cares that a team that's rebuilding and tanking cut Leonard Fournette. Now you can obviously point to the contract that he got, which was low. You can point to the fact that no one signed him off waivers. They, they let him clear waivers first, but I, I guess it's just a feel thing for me, but I don't see Bruce Arians bringing in Leonard Fournette to have him you know, rush the ball 25 to 30% of the time, which is, I think you, you need him. I think you need him to stay that low for Ronald Jones to really materialize that value. And uh, especially when you're talking about two, you're talking about a split situation of the early down and goal line role, not even the third down role. So, I, I mean, that doesn't, I, so I know it's ambiguous, but that doesn't seem scream upside to me when you, when you're splitting the worst part of the role, to begin with. Right. That's true. That's, that is a major concern. And I think that LaShawn McCoy will be involved as a pass catcher, although we know McCoy is dust. So I don't think that McCoy is necessarily locked in to getting all of those third down snaps. So we'll see, we'll see how the pass blocking breaks out. Uh, I think that, sorry, you go, go ahead. Well, I think that the worst case scenario for everybody is if McCoy does end up just being kind of the, He's playing basically every third down, kind of like Dario Gumbawale was last year. And then Leonard Fournette and Jones are kind of in the Jones-Barber type split, and they are splitting the worst half, you know, the less valuable role. They're basically splitting down the middle. I think there's a realistic chance that that occurs. I don't think there's a very good chance at all that Leonard Fournette ends up being like the lead back and Jones is backing him up. There's got to be, I mean, it's got to be at least like 33%, like a third chance that Leonard, it's got to be. I just don't buy it. I mean, you just said it's ambiguous. You're saying everyone's overconfident and here you are telling me there's no shot that. It's not no shot, but a third of the time Leonard Fournette is just ices Ronald Jones. I mean, not ices, but like I, I, I would put even money that Fournette sees more carries than Ronald Jones this year. I will, I will gladly do a side bet with you. Okay. Uh, we can do, I don't know if you want to do like, um, my preferred side bet is like the FFPC playoff challenge. So we could split one of those and whoever. Okay. Um, and then we can galaxy brain ourselves into fading all the best plays and playing all the worst yes, plays. Like let's play all the worst. <laughs> let's play all the worst plays in the playoffs. I, I will bet you one of those that, um, that Ronald Jones sees more touches than Leonard Fournette. Okay. Booked. Um, Okay, bringing this back to Dynasty, do you think there's an extreme buy-low opportunity on Keyshawn Vaughn where, or do you think he's just is just so dusty? I, my, my thought process there is if I don't think Leonard Fernand and Ronald Jones are grabbing the third down role, LaShawn McCoy doesn't, is obviously not a long-term impediment that, yeah, maybe he's going to be a healthy scratch and you have to survive that for a handful of weeks, but it's still kind of his role to take long-term do you see that or is it just not worth that materializing given that there's absolutely no 
value probably the first handful of weeks of this season. I do not think Vaughn is a buy. I think he's probably a sell right now in Dynasty. I think that the Leonard Fournette signing was absolutely awful for Keyshawn Vaughn. Uh, I, I Generally, my feeling on like the way this offseason, the, the narrative that I see is that they enter the season, they would like Jones to step up. They clearly cannot count on that happening. They take Keyshawn Vaughn in the third round. He does not end up panning out. He goes on the COVID list. Then he did not impress in camp even when he was back. They end up signing LaShawn McCoy as just like a veteran backup who they know can pass block. And then Leonard Fournette becomes available. Keyshawn Vaughn is looking like, you know, if he wasn't a third round pick, maybe he'd be a cut. And so they they get Fournette in as additional, a, another guy that they feel confident in can play for them. So this has all just been kind of a disaster for Keyshawn Vaughn in particular, who has, I think, a very narrow path to mattering. And what we see with, I, I mean, I think Ronald Jones kind of is the template here for Keyshawn Vaughn in a way where you see that once a guy falls on his face in his rookie year, the market is not going to be confident in him ever again. It's going to take a lot for the market to get back on board if Keyshawn Vaughn ends up just straight up not mattering this season. So I think that I would probably be shopping Keyshawn Vaughn right now as part of like a package. Like I would be trying to get him as a sweetener onto something else and move off of him. It's not to say that he couldn't end up mattering, but he's not a he's not a prospect that I really like that much to begin with. I think his outlook now is is looking pretty thin. And opportunity is what matters at running back. And it's just like his path to opportunity is tough. That's the only reason why. I mean, he was pushed up rookie or rookie draft rankings, you know, simply because of the potential opportunity. You know, no one really seemed to like him as a prospect. And that's that's what you get at the running back position. You have, you know, the opportunity matters. You you want to buy it a little bit, but it's also illusory. You know, it, it can disappear pretty quickly. So I, I do want to finish this now that we've assumed that Leonard Fournette is a death sentence for Keyshawn Vaughn, but isn't going to affect Ronald Jones too much. Is that? Well, well, that's, <laughs> I, see, I think that, you know, let's, let's be clear though, because Ronald Jones was going in the late fourth, early to mid fifth of these best ball drafts right before the signing. Now you're seeing him in the ninth. You're you're saying you'd pass on him in the tenth of I think he's the a main event. Pick. You think he's a twelfth round pick? Okay, yeah. that is a gigantic change in value. That if a guy I wasn't on him in the 12. fifth round though. I, he he, sure, he, sure. he was like a seventh rounder if I need six seven guy for me if I needed it for me. Still a so six I, seven so to a to a twelve. Point, you know yeah. my anchoring points obviously different. Right. But, it, you know, that's still a pretty giant loss in value. So it's not – I just want to push back on the idea that I'm saying this isn't a big deal for Ronald Jones. What I'm saying is that the market has decided Jones is dead and we shouldn't take him anymore. And I'm like, sure, I'll keep taking him then because we're – because I'm, now I'm getting like a, a really big discount on Ronald Jones, whereas Leonard Fournette, you have to take him where you had to take him when he was on Jacksonville. So it's just yeah. it's that's insane to me. With the market has decided how this is going to play out, even though it doesn't match up with the evidence that we have from the contracts. It doesn't match up with what the coaches are telling us. I'm not saying that the coaches are definitely right, you know, are definitely going to keep their word. I'm not saying that the contract means that Leonard Fournette can't be the starter, but it's just like I just I think the market has made up their mind here in a way. Like I don't know, like what what is Carryon Johnson's upside case without an injury? What is Philip Lindsay's upside case without an injury. Like he's I going think, near yeah, the guys. But, that, it, with, but if those guys had, I think their upside's higher with an injury than Jones's is. You remove Leonard Fournette, we're right back into the spot where he was a shaky sixth, seventh round pick. But why was he a shaky sixth, seventh round pick to you? Because, I mean, given how excited people seem now that Leonard Fournette, they they love the idea of Leonard Fournette as the lead back in this offense. Why is Ronald Jones as the clear lead back with no Leonard Fournette not higher than well, that? I think Ronald. with Leonard Fournette, you uh, for me, I have more confidence, rightly or wrongly, that Bruce Arians is going to use Leonard Fournette. I think that I think the passing down role has a higher ceiling for Leonard Fournette than it does for Ronald Jones, which I know based on Ronald Jones' yards per out run might not make sense, but just based on the fact that Leonard Fournette saw a stupid amount of targets last year, and I think there's more of a case for him seeing the goal line work just because again. 
it doesn't seem to make sense because when Ronald Jones did get those touches last year, he was successful, but they didn't want, you know, they used Peyton Barber down there. Why the hell were they using Peyton Barber? You know, and I can see them slotting Fournette in there. So I think there's a little bit more upside. I agree with you that Fournette's a fade. I mean, the market's overreacted probably because they were drafting him way too early to begin with. It's just for, for Jones, I see if Fournette goes down, they probably bring in somebody else. Well, I don't it's think not, they bring in somebody you don't else. Think they bring in somebody else. No. You, so, uh, you don't think they'd bring Dare back, or? I mean, Dare is the dustiest, dusty player. He, he of all is, time. but they used him. I mean, they, well, they didn't on. They did not use Dare on first and second down. I think that but, McCoy he, being there is the same as Dare being there. It's the same guy. They, those two yeah. cannibalize each other. They neither one affects Jones or or Fournette, frankly, on early. I, I guess I just I see a two down roll and. I see the touchdown upside, which is why I started to buy in. Like I originally had Jones as you'll, you'll probably accuse me of blasphemy, but I originally had Jones, you know, entering the offseason more of a ninth, 10th round pick. And then I saw that, you know, the upside materialized in terms of the game scripts going to be better, the potential for the goal line role to come back. But it's, I don't know. It was still hard for me to get him past that sixth, seventh round pick. And I think that's with an injury to Fournette. But I don't know. Let, let's close this out with some FFPC cut down talk. And it's difficult to give super specific advice because I think everyone's league is different. So I wanted to talk through my squad. I've got 26 people on my squad. It's got to cut down to 22. And it's got to do this by Sunday. And we'll, we'll do this pretty quickly since we're running long on this pod. I know why you didn't want to start with the Rojo segment now because it <laughs> It went, um, but this is a super flex best ball. You have to cut down to 22 for the season from 26. And then next year, you're only keeping 16 guys. So it, it's a little bit harder to stash some guys with long-term upside on the back end of your roster. And I, I don't know who to cut because with it being a best ball format, I feel like I have to carry two defenses and two kickers, which would seem stupid otherwise in a dynasty league, but it's just best ball total points weeks one through 16. So would you carry two kickers and two defenses? And I guess the back end of my roster, I've got some of these RB stashes and Keyshawn Vaughn enters that conversation. You know, is he a cut? There's him, you know, Benjamin Travion Williams is probably an obvious cut. Rex Burke had, you know, I'm likely cutting these back end running backs, but curious your thoughts there. Yeah, I have one of these two and, and my plan is to, to do two defenses, two kickers. Yours has waivers. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's best, ball, it's best ball, but there's still waivers throughout the season. Yep. Okay. Me too. So I'm. I think that my plan is if there's some weeks where, you know, for whatever reason, I feel like I just have to only carry one defense or kicker because I can play waivers and I know those guys are going to be like I'm going to be able to select the the version of of that play at those positions, maybe I can, I can try to do that. But for almost every week, I want to try to have two kickers and two defenses. And yeah, I mean, I would, I do consider Keyshawn Vaughn a a cut there because you'll probably be able to get him if things start to break in his favor. Like if there's kind of buzz that he might be active, you know, you can pick him back up. I, I think, and a guy like Rex Burkhead would be an example of a player that I think is a a pretty low upside guy. You know, he's he's on his last year of his deal. I think he's like thirty years old. I mean, he's he's not someone that's gonna you're gonna end up like yeah. just totally regretting. So I think in these FFPC leagues, you're trying to get up to studs because those studs they consolidate roster spots for you, and so mm-hmm. um, that's like a lot of the goal for me is that I want to be able to kind of like funnel my draft capital into like elite high-end guys, ideally ones that are going to retain their value for, you know, the, at least a season, hopefully longer that are in, you know, somewhat stable positions. So trying to find guys who like have huge, huge upsides and are also going to be fairly tradable. Like the other reason why I would say, I think Keyshawn Vaughn is a cut is because no one's going to want to hold him. Yeah. So whereas like, you know, Benjamin, I think it's a little he's someone I'd be a little bit more intrigued about keeping him on a roster because let's say Chase Edmonds pulls his hamstring 
and Eno Benjamin looking like he's going to be the third running back on that team and the only other running back besides Edmonds and Drake on that team very quickly becomes at least someone that you can move in a trade. You know, maybe you're not starting him or, you know, it's best ball, but maybe he's not slotting into your lineup, but you can pretty easily find someone that feels weak at running back or, you know, wants to uh, take that upside. Yeah. Handcuff Drake. Yeah. There's, you'll, you'll see that in these leagues. So yeah, I guess comparison point would be, you know, Marcus Mariota, I took as a third quarterback feeling like I needed a third quarterback in super flex, a little undecided on, quarterback stashes in super flex going from, you know, I play in a lot of deep leagues where you, you want to stockpile these quarterbacks for super flex best ball. Whereas this league a little bit shallower, you know, I'm not sure about him. And then there's some back end receivers that I love stashing for the most part, but I'm so strong at receiver. And I know, you know, even thinking to next year, I'm going to have to cut down to 16 guys. You know, what are the chances Andy Isabella, Miles Boykin make that cut? So you know, I guess those would be the good comparison points for Keyshawn Vaughn. You know, I think I agree with you. You know, Benjamin directly at running back has more upside. So Vaughn versus the Boykin Isabella back end receiver type or carrying a third quarterback like Mariota that you know, currently has no value. But obviously in Superflex, it's huge if you end up you're turning a backup quarterback into a starting quarterback. Yeah, Mariota has just seemed to have had a, a really bad camp and the reports are that he basically has no shot of challenging Carr right now. So I think while I agree, like, you know, I stashed Tannehill in a, in a deep, much deeper Superflex league last year and having him pay off was was gigantic. I love taking in Superflex. I like taking, um, you know, Jordan Love. Uh, I like taking Eason. I like taking these like super cheap rookie quarterbacks because if they hit, it's just such a gigantic increase in value. So I'm with you, but uh, at least, you know, philosophically, but I, I think Mariota is probably a cut. Um, and I think Boykin is someone that I'd be really trying to hold on to because he's athletic, he's pretty big, and he plays with Lamar Jackson. Dude, so, I don't get the lack of Boykin hype. He, he's the starting wide receiver on yeah. that team, and it's not like there aren't targets available. You know, they spread stuff around a lot last year, but if you're someone like me who's hesitant to put Marquise Brown at an alpha one wide receiver target share, you put him more like 20% instead of 25 plus, even with Andrews taking up 25, that, that's still 55% of the targets. And you, you take, I don't know, you chop off 10 to 15 for the running backs. That's still a lot of opportunity for a starting wide receiver. It's not like you know, Willie Sneed obviously plays a different role on this offense, but it's not like he's going to all of a sudden, you know, be a target hog for them. So, and, and the big play upside there, I mean, I, I think he he's really underrated, especially relative to Hollywood Brown right now. Not that I, I mean, I, I like Hollywood Brown. Everybody is sort of into Hollywood Brown, but the market values of those two seem like way further apart than they should be, even though I understand it when you're looking at like projectable volume right now. Yeah. And he wasn't used a ton as a rookie Boykin, but he was, he wasn't bad. And Duvernay's had a quiet camp. Um, I think like Prochet's looked okay, but uh, like you say, he looks like a starting wide receiver right now. And just a guy where we, we know, like we know how people react in fantasy. And if it's like a big, deep threat who plays with Lamar Jackson, he's super athletic, there's going to be a lot of hype around that guy as soon as he has a good game or a couple good games. The Hollywood Brown week one game. We just need to hit that (laughs) early in the season. 14 snaps and two long touchdowns. Exactly. You know, we know this offense can produce it. It's like, I don't, I don't get it either. I Boykin is a guy that I have a ton of in best ball, just a ton of. I keep, he's like, I force myself to move off of him as a late round uh, stash pick um, at times because I just like, you know, I, otherwise I would have him on almost every team. So I'm with you. Like, I don't really understand why there isn't more hype about this guy. He fits a profile that uh, is, is incredibly high upside. And I think with these, um ffpc leagues where you're going to be able to get wide receivers cheaply like you're just always going to be able to get wide receivers cheaply in these leagues they're going to be underpriced year after year so you don't want to like force yourself into holding guys that you know frankly you could probably replace and boykin does not fit that mold to me 
Boykin is a guy that if he hits, you're going to be able to trade easily. You're he's probably going to slot into your lineup a fair amount. Um, and I think other people will eventually be excited about. I think Isabella is a dude that doesn't really profile as someone that is going to generate as much um, trade interest this year. Maybe he will if you know Fitzgerald retires, but still, then he's probably you know the wide receiver three on that team unless something happens with Kirk or you know Hopkins ends up flaming out over this contract dispute that's been kind of quietly bubbling up. So. There's paths, but I think in these FFPC leagues where, you know, you can pretty much, you can find another wide receiver if you need, uh, that Isabella is someone that unfortunately is is probably a cut, depending on how many cuts you need to make. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm going to figure out my cuts. I, I think I'm set. Anything else you want to say on FFPC cut down, your dynasty ranks, or, what, you know, one last Rojo bit, or are you good to go? No, I think that people have heard enough uh, enough <laughs> Rojo talk from me. I guess I I still I've. It's funny because I think so much of it comes down to like um, the running back profiles that you're looking at in those rounds. You know, like uh, David Montgomery went ahead of Ronald Jones in a league we did the other week, and or sorry, that's the league we did on, with uh, Evan Silva and John Daigle for ship chasing on Wednesday, and that's absurd to me. But I think like Tony Pollard, um, Pete was arguing for Boston Scott. I think those types of picks are I think even like an AJ Dillon you can you can argue for because of the upside there but it's I think a lot of it comes down to like the type of profile that you're looking for but I I am a little bit disappointed that I couldn't get you on him compared to some of the other like handcuff types like carry on and Phil I feel like Dillon's a pretty good comp um in some ways just because it it's kind of that two down roll with a split and you know, it's not like they absolutely can't catch passes, but they're not projecting as third down guy. I, I can see that as I, I think that's at the point where I feel like they're they're pretty even. Where would you take Leonard Fournette? I would take Fournette in the eighth, I think. Yeah. I just but the, I just I, can't I like imagine taking him over Jones. It's just really hard for me to to see it. I, I don't know. I again I, I think it's an interesting case study in how our psyches work and it'll be really it kind of sucks that you know we can't simulate this outcome multiple times. It's gonna happen one way and someone's gonna claim victory. Yeah. But it, I just see more times than not Bruce Arians siding with a volume for Leonard Fournette, but Here's what I'll say about I don't Leonard have Fournette. I don't even honestly I don't I, I I'll be honest I don't have great rationale behind it other than I just think that's what Bruzarians is gonna do. Leonard Fournette was actually really good after contact last year. And so if you if you believe in him as a rusher and now on a much better team, I think there's a path to him paying off for He's sure. Not as bad as people think he is. I yeah, think. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And also he was he was not a, a good receiver last year, but actually wasn't very good in pass protection, at least by PFF skirting. It wasn't horrible, but he's not like some star there. He was okay as a receiver on a smaller sample in 2018. So you could you can see it. Like I don't think I don't want to say that Leonard Fournette has no chance. I just to me, as the guy who's new to the team, who again, I I feel like people are still glossing over the fact that he wasn't claimed off waivers. That was his rookie deal that you could have gotten him off. Like People said no, 4.1 million is too expensive for this guy. I don't think that's something we should just ignore. But, you know, if Ronald Jones was going in the fifth round and Fournette was going in the tenth round, I'd say to take Fournette. But it's that you're getting the giant discount of these two guys, uh, you know, yeah. is only applied to one, not the other. Yeah. I guess that's fair. I mean, there's definitely some bias in me saying I would take Fournette in eighth and not the guy who's starting week one in tenth. So I'll grant you that. All right. I like I like that I got a small concession out of you. And you got a <laughs> concession out of me saying that Fournette's good after contact. So we can, All right. That's yeah. how we end the show. <laughs> all right. Well, guys, if you like the show, uh, please write and review us on iTunes. Um, Check out all of our work at Establish a Run. As I mentioned, these dynasty rankings are continuously updating. I also want to give a shout out to uh, the show that Mike did with Drew and Adam Levitan on GPPs, which was like 
as someone who I'm very much like trying to get better at GPPs in particular, I like GPPs a lot more than cash. Uh, I think I'm just going to focus pretty much exclusively on GPPs this year. And it was like, must, must listening. I plan to listen again before the season starts. It's just like, just loaded with actionable info there. So check out that podcast, uh, the Establish Your Run podcast. That episode was fantastic. And uh, we'll see you again next time. Hopefully, uh, we won't have to spend so much time talking about Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.